Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, we have financial advisor from West Shore Financial Group, Mr. Chris Garrido. You can find him at, on Instagram at chrisgarrido13 or on Facebook, the Chris Garrido. This man has Monday Motivation, his podcast on his uh, Facebook, and he is absolutely phenomenal, teaching you principle-based thought process to get you out of making financial-based decisions. Uh, he also talked about the ability to adapt immediately and how much and how important that is in all areas of life. Uh, also, the the ability to reinvent yourself, that love will break the cycles in your life. And he gave us so many financial nuggets. Oh, and by the way, he gave us a Super Bowl prediction here on the Kelly Cardenas podcast. I was so inspired by sitting down with this young man. He's been a friend of mine for over 15 years and uh, he continues to get better and better. Enjoy the episode and share it with everyone you know. Um, And I think it's twofold. I think number one, um, you know, COVID was a wake up call for a lot of people that like, you know, all that stuff Chris has been saying for the last few years about protecting your income and assets and saving money. Ooh, we better start doing that. So I think it was a wake up call for a lot of people. But the bigger thing for me was this. I spent hours every single day driving from meeting to meeting to meeting. And if I could get three, maybe four meetings in a day, I was literally burning the candle at both ends. And as soon as March hit, from March 16th, I've been working at home. I'm in my office at home and working virtually. And my business has just absolutely skyrocketed. I do six, seven, eight meetings a day. I log out of one and log right into the next one. And then, like you said, I think I do have the ability, because of my background, um, to be just as engaging, if not more engaging in this format than I do sitting across the table from someone. So um, this virtual thing has absolutely been a complete beast for my business. I love it. I love to hear it, man. And I think there's so many people that, that need to hear it. I think there's a lot of times in – and I don't know if you feel this way, but there's a lot of times where people don't want to talk about their, their, their increase during this time because so many people are hurting. Um, you feel guilty. Yeah. And my brother, my brother went through the same thing. Cause you know, I was with him and this was a time when all our businesses got shut down. We had no income at all. Um, zero zilch, nothing. And he was like, Oh man. And he kind of dumbed down what he was doing. And I said, Rob, I want you to celebrate it because it inspires me. You know what I mean? Like right now I ain't got no job <laughs> at the time. And, and I said, you know, what you do inspire. So that's what I want you to, I want to encourage you with that because there's so many people out there that, um, that are not, um, they're, they're not, they're struggling. Um, but most of the time when you're struggling, you, you gravitate towards people who are struggling and then you guys hang out and talk about it. But when you have a person like you that has thrived during this time, you know, I just think that it's amazing, man. So I'll tell you, it's funny too. I'm looking through a, a, an Instagram message that I sent to a friend of mine, Lindsay. Um, I told her, I said, you know, everything that I've endured in life has prepared me for this year. I said, and the crazy part is like, I'm amazing. Like I could do without the illness and the death and the political and racial divide and, you know, all of the business and economic loss. But selfishly for me, it was a great year. More time with my family, more time for me. Business took off. Just a greater appreciation of all the things that I was taking for granted when I was moving 100 miles an hour. And I said, I almost feel guilty saying that. And she wrote me back and said, that's not selfish at all. Just because there's turbulence around us doesn't mean that if you're not taking those hits, that you're being selfish. I'm so happy to hear that your life has blossomed with joy and success. You deserve it. And now go be a light and shine that for others. And that's exactly what we're talking about, man. 
Here we go again with the shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Piper Diamonds for all your jewelry needs. My necklace that I get complimented all over the country and all over the world, uh, my pennant was made by Piper Diamonds Company. This place is absolutely phenomenal. When you're looking for that special something for that special someone, Piper Diamonds is the only answer. It's piperdiamonds.co. And it's also brought to you by Kelly Cardenas Salon in Las Vegas and in Chicago. This is top-level service, guys, without the ego and, hands down, the greatest shampoo experience that you will ever have in your life. This will create uh, an evangelistic uh, type experience. You will be talking about this for years and years to come. The wash house, uh, completely separate area, com- uh, different sound system, soundproofed, head, neck, and shoulder massage. You will be over the moon with your experience, and you can uh, schedule your appointment at kellycardinasalon.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, I, I love it, man. I, I, I think it's amazing. How much do you think that, because, well, I think that some people say, hey, I want to be a financial, uh, like I want to be a financial advisor. I want to be in TV. I want to be able to do this. What do I need to do? But what I've been so inspired by you over the years is a couple things. Number one is you're successful at every single thing that you do. Like everything that you touch is gold, Chris. But talk to us about the fact, uh, like when you talked about like everything in your life prepared you for this moment. And most people just want to prepare for what they're doing right now, as opposed to preparing for getting to a point where really, I mean, Chris, I could, you could be in finances, you could be, you could be in the financial world, you could be in the film world, you could be in whatever world you can be successful. Why is it so important to prepare yourself like for a lifetime as opposed to a, a moment? Well, I mean, it's funny you say, you know, everything I touch turns to gold. I sometimes feel like everything I touch turns to rust. But the difference is I just keep shining it and shining it and shining it and shining it until one day it starts to look golden. I mean, the reality is I've failed my way to success over and over and over again. Um, You know, whether going all the way back to college. I mean, my first semester at the University of Florida, I was a hair away from failing out of school. And my mom showed up on my doorstep with a U-Haul and said, we're going home. And I said, I can't go home. I'm in college. And she pulled out my first semester report card and said, I can't tell. And I was like, I guess I'll start packing my bags. I mean, it was, you know, she she basically said, if you're not going to do it right, then don't do it at all. And so, I mean, I remember coming back home that summer and and I had a, a 1979 Oldsmobile Delta 88. And um, I remember, you, I know you've driven some hoopties in your life too, so you can appreciate this, but the the door didn't latch shut. So it kind of stayed shut, but it was kind of open. And so if I made a turn, the door would swing open on me. And so I actually had to hold the door shut when I made turns. And, you know, and so in the back of my mind, I was like, man, three months ago, I was at the University of Florida, my dream school in Gainesville, full paid scholarship, living the dream. And because I messed it up because I didn't appreciate it and, and nurture that opportunity. Now I'm, I'm driving this car where the door that won't shut and, and scooping ice cream at Baskin Robbins. And so it was like, you know, from, from high to low overnight. And, you know, I think a lot of people could have wallowed in that or made excuses or, you know, blame their environment. I blame myself. I knew that I had to be transparent and introspective enough to recognize the fact that I messed that up. That was on me. And the only way I was going to overcome it, was to work my way out of it. And so I went to two years of community college. I got my AA. I got good enough grades to get accepted back into the University of Florida. Went back to Gainesville in, in the fall of 96. 
uh, graduated with my bachelor's degree from UF in 99, ended up getting a career in television. And the reality of it is I've had to reinvent myself so many times. Like, you know, people look at me like, man, there's so many things that you could be good at. And I'm like, yeah, because I've done so many things. And for one reason or another, I've had the rug pulled out from underneath me so many times. I mean, I had an eight-year television career that I loved. I thought I would be in TV until I retired, until I got laid off from three different networks in eight years. And after a while, you start running out of TV stations. So then I'm like, okay, well, now what? You know, and I reinvented myself and, and uh, you know, got a job working as a federal programs director for Huntington Learning Center. And I ran that program for six years and thought I would retire from it. I was so proud. We helped over 2,000 kids you know, raise their, their overall academic scores and at no cost to them, by the way, it was a fully federally funded program. And I loved what I did. I, I reinvented myself. I had a new career and then whew, federal pro the funding goes away and the program shuts down. And then it's like, okay, well now what, you know? And so then my buddy had been asking me for years, like, you ought to come become a financial advisor, man. Like you'd be good at this. You're smart. People like you, you're well-spoken. Like you ought to check it out. And I kept telling him no for years. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then finally, I gave him a call that one day. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to listen now. And then had to start all over again. I was 39 years old, Kelly, when I became a financial advisor. I was married. I had, my oldest son was already born and my wife was pregnant with my second child at 39 years old and had to completely reinvent myself again. And that was some of the scariest times that I've ever been through because I was surrounded by 23-year-old kids that had just come out of college. And they were like, yeah, I'm just going to show up to work every day and I'm going to be successful. I was 39 years old with, with, with a growing family, and I knew I had to be successful right now. The pressure that was on my career to be successful right out of the gate was, it was so daunting. And so, again, I struggled, and, and we went through some, some very difficult times um, in my first few years back in 2014, 2015. And uh, just perseverance, man. I, I think the ability to adapt and overcome is something that everyone needs in life because life never goes on a straight trajectory up. Life goes like this. And no matter where I'm at, I just have to keep my head down and keep focused on where I want to go. So tell me more about young Chris. Let's get into before before the college thing happens. I can see your mom. Like I can see your mom coming to college <laughs> and smacking Chris upside the head. And I don't care. I mean, Chris, how tall are you? A 6'1". Okay, a 6'1". Now, I, I know, I mean, you and I are boys, but there is no time in my life where I'll be smacking you. So, but your mom is, your mom is how tall? Oh, five, five. Okay, so you could imagine this 5'5 five, five woman rolling up and grabbing Chris by the ear, twisting that ear, and Chris being like, you know, he would knock anybody out, but, but mama grabs a hold of him. Take us back to early, Chris, though. Um, you know, you, you seem to... Uh, take the advice from mama when she did, when she said that, but that takes a foundation too. So let's go back uh, grade school or middle school. Chris, um, what were some of the lessons that you were learning very early on that taught you about to have this kind of attitude? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I had a friend of mine one time that when we were like 16 years old, his mom punished him by taking his TV away from him. And so he took her sewing machine and hit it. And I remember I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That's your mom. And he made a comment to me. He's like, I'm six foot three. What's she going to do about it? And I was like, whoa, like never in my life have I ever thought like my, I'm bigger than my mom. So therefore I don't have to listen. Like I, I, that just was never instilled in me. So yeah, it's funny you say that when my mom showed up on my doorstep, I was, I was scared to death. Um, and by the way, less than all you college kids out there, when you go to college, your permanent address is your parents' house. 
and sometimes your grades get mailed to your permanent address. I didn't know that at the time. So I never got the report card. It got mailed directly to her. And then she drove two hours and showed up on my doorstep with the report card in my hand. But uh, yeah, young Chris, man, um, just, just thank God, you know, blessed with a tremendous supporting network. Um, because I, you know, my mom was, was a single mom. Um, I, I don't, I haven't really talked a lot about it publicly, but you know, I didn't meet my dad until I was in my mid thirties. Um, and thank God I have, and my dad and I actually have a really great relationship now. Um, and we have for about the last 10 years, but, uh, I never knew my dad growing up. It was always just me and my mom, only child. So it was, it was always just the two of us. And I always had a tremendous amount of respect for her because, you know, no matter what happened, no matter what we went through, no matter how many dozens of times we had to move, no matter what the financial struggles were, um, you know, no matter how many of my friends had, you know, the, the bugle boy jeans with the, the peg cups at the bottom and the Reebok with the one strap open, um, you know, they had all that great stuff, you know, and the, and the, and the polos that I didn't have, you know, uh, um, what, 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 what did Biggie say? Um, I'm sewing tigers on my shirts and alligators. You want to see the inside? What? I'll see you later. That was basically me growing up, but I never knew it, Kelly. I never knew that I, I, I didn't know that I was missing out on anything. You know, I didn't know that I knew they had stuff and I didn't have it. I guess I just never really knew why. And I never cared. Um, because, you know, again, I knew that I was loved. My mom always put a tremendous emphasis on education. I remember people, you know, growing up, even when I was, you know, eight, nine years old, you know, my mom would tell people like, oh, he's going to college. That's, that's a non-negotiable. He's going to college. And that may not seem all that impressive now, but when you step back and take yourself to the mid eighties and know that no member of my family had ever graduated college before. And my mom just made the decision from early on that I was going to be the first. And she manifested that, you know, and again, so I think the focus on education was big, the focus on respecting your parents, her work ethic, the fact that she worked so hard um, to make sure that we had enough to get by and that I never knew that we didn't have what all those other friends had. Um, I think a lot of that. And then the other thing that I would say, too, and I, I think it's so critically important, you know, I think it's too cliche or too kitschy to say that it takes a village. But, you know, I had a lot of family members that were involved in, in my upbringing. Uh, you know, my Uncle Steve. You know, my Uncle Steve was like a father to me growing up, um, you know, and then and, and my Aunt Susie, my Aunt Mary Beth, my grandparents, you know, there were years that I lived with my grandparents, um, you know, growing up. And so I think just having that tremendous network around me of loving family members and and supportive friends and their families um, really made a big difference, too. So I had a lot of people that cared enough about me and and when they saw me start to dip or stray would pull me back on, on the right path and make sure that I was able to get to my goal early on. When did it start to uh, click that that you were as loved as you were? Um, because a lot of times when you grow up in a in a, um, <clears throat> my brother said it the other day. He said we had everything um, when it comes to love. Like it, when he was talking about it on the pod, uh, the podcast when I got to interview him, we we've joked and said that we were broke, and then we realized that as kids we weren't broke because we had so much love. We didn't really realize that until later on. I didn't realize that I was woken up by my parents every single day for my whole entire life from the time I can remember and told that I was awesome, that I was amazing, that I was beautiful, that I was handsome, that I could do anything, and that I was exactly uh, perfect at being myself. What age did it start to click? That Because when you're younger and your mom is saying, yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, mom, let me go out and ride my bike real quick. Yeah, I think it was definitely high school for me. I know it wasn't any earlier. Um, 
because I remember back to like middle school and I remember taking that stuff for granted and, and not appreciating it. And, you know, I remember challenging my mom on things that I shouldn't have challenged her on, um, you know, and, and so I think one of the, you know, one of the hard parts of growing up is having to look back and see some of the poor choices that you made and the people and the things that you maybe didn't appreciate the way that you should have. Um, and, and when you look back on those things, you know, the, the one silver lining to all of that is it all clicks for you. And then it's like, oh man, wow. You want to talk about being loved. You know, when you, when you asked me that question, when did it click for me? How, how loved I was, even though I didn't recognize it in the moment, I immediately go back to certain stories. I remember one year, um, I had to be really young, Kelly. I was probably like maybe five years old, four or five years old. Um, and it was Halloween and I, something happened. It might have been financial. I would have never known it if it was. Um, it may have been that my mom had to work. I'm not sure what it was. But I remember that um, I was at my Uncle Steve's house, and he somehow found out that I didn't have a Halloween costume and I wasn't going to go trick-or-treating. Uh, again, for whatever the reason, mom's work, financial, I don't, I have no idea what it was. I was I was protected from things like that. And I just remember my uncle. I, it's crazy that I remember this because I'm maybe, like I said, five, six years old. But I remember my uncle saying, um, no, 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 no. He's not going to not go trick or treating. You know, he's not going to not have a Halloween costume. That's crazy. And so my uncle took me to, um, he took me to Goodwill and bought me like this goofy, like silk pattern shirt and these big baggy pants. And he made up my face as a clown. And I had like a tipped fedora and a big clown nose and a big plastic uh, toy cigar. And it's funny because somewhere I still have the picture of me as that clown. And A, it's like the scariest costume ever. Like you look back on it, it's like this is the most frightening five-year-old clown you've ever seen in your life. Um, but I think the bigger lesson that I take from it is every time I look back on it, I was like, man, I had this man in my life that like wasn't going to allow me to miss out on that opportunity. Didn't matter what the costume was. Didn't matter how last minute it was put together. Um, he just wasn't going to let me miss out on stuff like that. And, and it's a testament to him. Um, you know, it's a testament to him as, as a man. Um, but it's also, um, uh, I'm the beneficiary of that in everything that I had growing up and, and beyond still today. Talk to us too. Well, shout out to Uncle Stevie. Uncle Stevie has affected my life in so many ways too. I remember there was one time when we were at Gathering, the first time that uh, that I got to meet him. I was at Gathering and I was struggling. And I had, um, I was living in an apartment. I was making $560 a month and 22 cents. And um, rent payment was 540 And then I got, invited to go to um, gathering, which is Paul Mitchell gathering. I go there and I'm busted. Like I have no money at all. And I'm, but I'm teaching all these people who are flown across the country and I'm fronting, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like I was fronting and we get done with the show and uncle Stevie, uh, like I, I didn't even know him at the time, but you know, I knew he was working there at, uh, at the show and I knew he was important because the way that everyone was treating him and he, uh, so I started helping him pick up the room and he said, hey, man, um, I said, what do I do with these boxes? And he just winked at me. And we were picking up product that had been used, and you can't put it back. They don't ship it back. They just, a lot of times, they throw it away. And he just winked at me, and he said, pack you a couple of boxes. And I was able to pack the boxes. And this, I mean, I had this product that was probably worth more than my rent. And he just looked the other way and said, uh, you know, I want to make sure that you're taken care of. He never said, you know, he never said like, you need to do this. You need to do that. He just made sure and take care of it. So shout out to uncle Steve. Let's go to this too, because I know that you, you said about a bucket, right? We were driving buckets. How much, 
of a of an impact in your life today, in the success that you have today, how important is it to drive a bucket, not have the bugle boys, not have the uh, polo when you're growing up, and <clears throat> learn how to make a dollar out of fifteen cents? <laughs> critically important um and it's a struggle for me because now i've got my own kids you know and and so i have this internal struggle of man like how much do i make them sacrifice so that they can have the same appreciation for things that i do and how do i also give them a better a better life than i was given and um, that is a a constant struggle in my mind because i don't want to spoil them but i want to spoil them if that makes any sense uh, but no, I, I, I completely agree with the importance of it. I, I think that I am the product of every good and bad thing that's ever happened to me. You know, I mean, we, <clears throat> excuse me, in finance, we talk about net worth, you know, and your net worth is like the, the, the culmination of every financial decision that you've ever made in your life. Uh, Travis Scribner, who actually works at our agency out in Vegas, um, told me that he said, it starts when your grandparents first give you a check for, you know, $10 for your birthday when you're five years old. Every dollar that you've ever had come into your life since then, you your net worth is the culmination of every decision you've ever made around money from that point. Um, and Travis is pretty he's, he's pretty impressive. Uh, Travis knows you too, by the way. I think you actually know each other through Vegas circles. But um, but again, I feel the same way about my 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 being, my my moral compass, my fiber, all of that. I think I'm the culmination of every single good and bad thing that's ever happened to me. And I could probably argue that the bad ones are more impactful than the good ones um, because, you know, I, I, I coach a lot of baseball now and, and I'm coaching kids that are, you know, six to 11 years old and they struggle with loss. You know, we live in this society where, you know, everyone wants to win and they want instant gratification. And if you don't get it or you lose or something bad happens, um, these kids tend to get, you know, a little off kilter. Um, and I've also learned that preteen boys are just wildly emotional anyway. But what I tell them to get them back on track is this. If there's a lesson, then there's no loss. The only way you lose is if there's not a lesson. And so the fact of the matter is I've lost more times than I can count, but I'm better today for all of the losses. And I know you feel that way. I mean, we've had conversations about that before, but, you know, the struggle, the sacrifice, the not getting all of the great things that you want, um, it means that now that I'm in this unique position, Kelly, that I've never been in before, where all of a sudden I can have all the things that I want. You know, if, if I want to go out and buy a new car, I can do it. I want to buy a bigger house, I can do it. I want to take trips, I can do it. Like all of a sudden now I've come to this point in my career where, you know, the hard work has paid off and, and, and the dreams are becoming fruition. And now I don't care about any of it. I just don't, man. Like the, the four people that live underneath this roof, like that's all I care about now. And it's just so funny. Like, to me because i think when i was younger i was like man if i had more money i would do this 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 and this now i'm like man i got more money and all i want to do is hug my wife and kids man another pause for station identification and shameless promotion this episode is also brought to you by finley cars of las vegas i tell you the next level in the car buying experience and not only that but the life of your car the service that you're going to uh, experience is incredible it's finley volvo cars uh 
lv.com and also brought to you by uh, bling shine serum the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture strength and shine and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama when i showed her all the features and benefits she smelled it and she said this is the greatest product that you've ever done and i thought mom do you not uh, look at the features and benefits she said no if it smells like that it must work and i tell you every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life and this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com so <laughs> tell us about when you were a kid and you were thinking, because I think everyone goes back to this uh, when you said, you know, if I had money, because there are people out there listening right now. And if you're listening right now and you're saying like, I'm in the grind, I don't believe in the grind. I believe in just working your purpose. I believe in having a really good time while you're doing all of it. If you're broke right now, get excited. I had a girl tell me, she was like, you just don't understand. I said, what don't I understand? She said, I got bills. And I said, well, all of us have bills. And she said, you don't understand. I'm broke. And I said, well, if you're broke, then they can't take anything from you. So if you got bills and you're broke, get excited because they can't take any money because you don't have any. But talk to us, uh, talk to our listeners too about, um, you know, that, that kid who's aspiring, who's saying, I'm in the grind right now. And when I get to this point, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to do X. And now you're saying I, you got to that point and you really don't even want to spend your money on. Like, I used to think that I was going to get gold teeth, gold plate my car, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, do some dumb stuff. Talk to us about that a little bit, Chris. I mean, this, this is where I'll get really passionate. Um, and, and I would just ask, like, if you are that person, I beg you to listen. Like, literally, I, I implore you to listen to, to what we're about to talk about. And the reason I say it is because I swear to you, Kelly, I was that person as recently as four years ago. As recently as four years ago, I had highly successful financial advisors giving me great advice and telling me, just keep your head down, just work, keep learning, learn more to earn more, get better. The payoff will come, the payoff will come. And I remember in the back of my mind going, these guys just don't know what it's like. They're so far removed. They're breathing different air than I'm breathing. They can't give me advice because they don't know what I'm going through. And and look, candidly, friend to friend, I'll tell you, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, 2014 was such a difficult year for this family. Um, and when I say difficult year, I mean, you know, repossessions getting threatened and, and eviction notices on the door. I mean, it was genuinely bad. And it was a product of a lot of things. But one of those things was, me again starting over in my life, you know, at 39 years old and trying to build a career out of nothing. And when I was going through it in those difficult times, I didn't want to listen to anyone. I didn't want to listen to anyone that was in the same position that I was in because all they ever wanted to do was commiserate about how bad things were. And I knew that wasn't, you know, helpful. Um, but I also didn't want to listen to people that had already made it because I felt like they couldn't relate to me. And this is the one thing that I've realized. Um, and I told you earlier, my business tripled in 2020 for a number of reasons. Um, but this is the one thing that I've realized now is that I don't even know when it happened. Like, like if I feel like I'm successful today and I've got a, a, a thriving business, a thriving practice, and, and I've done all these things that I wanted to do. And somebody said, well, when did you cross over? When did you cross over from struggle to success? Like, what was the moment? I have no freaking idea. I genuinely don't. I have no idea. I bet you don't. Like, I don't even know when it happened. And so you have to remember this. If you're listening to this, please like, take this and bury it in your heart and your brain. 
if I can't remember the moment when things went from bad to good, then that means the entire thing was a journey. The entire thing was part of it. So this idea that, well, when I get to this, I'm going to be happy, or when I get to this, I'll be successful, or when I get to this, bro, I don't even know when I got there. Maybe I'm not even there yet. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe maybe my, my business this year will grow 10x, and I'll be like, oh, a year ago, I didn't know what I was talking about. I thought I was successful. Like, So one of the biggest wake-up calls for me in the last 12 months of my life, this is so new and so fresh for me, is that it is all part of the journey. And if you just stay singularly focused to your passion and purpose and do everything that you can every single day to become better in that domain, to be, to better yourself inside that arena, one day you're just going to open your eyes and go, how the heck did I get here? I mean, and, and, and that's why sitting there going, well, when and if, and you don't get it because you're way up here and I'm down here and measuring sticks and comparisons and all that, it's completely irrelevant. Because we're all on the same journey. And the only people I, I believe, and maybe people would argue with me this, but the only people that don't get to their ultimate destinations are the ones that stop. That's it. If you keep moving, you're going to end up where you belong. The only way you can not get there is if you stop. And so if you've got eviction notices and cars getting repossessed and you're trying to decide whether you want to pay your rent or pay your electric bill, bro, I was there four years ago. Four years ago, I was there. And I'm here to tell you, my life is so totally different now. And I don't know when it happened, but I know how it happened. And the only way that it happened was I kept believing and doing. I kept believing that I was on the right path and I kept moving forward down that path. And all of a sudden I just woke up and I was on third base and I don't know how I got there. This is why I wanted to have you. I mean, I've, I've wanted to have you on the show for so long and I've wanted to expose this part because guys, the ones that you're, the, the, the listeners out there, you're hearing this. I, this is a friend of mine and, and I am inspired by him to, to no end. I know when there was a switch though, <clears throat> there was a switch when a certain young lady came into your life and I saw a switch in Chris. Let's talk about that because a lot of, uh, someone told me early on, I was sitting in a meeting and it was a business meeting and he said, you're going to be more credible and people will listen to you when you're married. And I was like, what do you, what are you talking about? And what he was saying is, is that it helped people to understand that, that you had a different focus than just getting their money, than just getting into a, a scenario or just becoming successful, that you had a focus on, you know, on, on a unit and on a purpose. How much of an effect did your wife, when you met your wife and you had the, and I'm not saying that every, no relationship is perfect, but I saw a change in Chris. I saw a shift happen. And almost being able to settle in a little bit more. Talk to me about that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that, you know, if there's a man alive that doesn't have something he's willing to die for, he isn't fit to live. And, you know, I think that there's value in that because it goes to show you, you know, before I met my wife and before I had kids, I mean, I was so selfish. And I don't even mean it in a bad way. It's just all I knew. Like, who else did I have to live for? Who else did I have to serve? You know, <clears throat> I think that we're just incredibly selfish and we make selfish decisions. And, you know, part of the reason why I struggled financially later in life when I, you know, reinvented myself and had a wife and kids is because I just, you know, blew money so badly when I was younger. You know, when I worked in television, I made good money. When I worked in, in education, I made good money. I just spent it faster than it was coming in. 
Um, and so again, I just, that, that was a purpose of me, or I should say a product of me living for myself and not living for anything or anyone greater than me. Um, you're absolutely right though. And so it's, it's interesting. A big part of my practice is actually life insurance and disability insurance. And when it comes to life insurance, I have a mentor that says, you can't sell life insurance in the absence of love. And early on in, in this career of mine, he actually would get on me all the time. He'd go, stop working with single men. And I'm like, well, why would I stop working with single men? Like single men, you know, have money, they have finances. And he said, look, he goes, think about the way that you treated money when you were single. How much did you care? He said, would you have listened to any of your advice when you were single and you had no kids? He said, first of all, they don't want to listen to you. He said, and second of all, all men are stupid until they get married. And I just, I love that. I just think it's like the funniest thing ever. Like looking back, it's like, yeah, he actually made a lot of sense there. You know, um, my wife changed everything for me. There's no question. And I think I'm a little different than, than most people. Um, you know, I was 33 years old when I met my wife and I think probably from the time I turned 30, I had already made the decision that I was ready to settle down. I mean, anybody that knew me from 30 to 33 knew, like, I was wife shopping everywhere I went. I was like, oh, I just want to meet the right woman. I want to settle down. I want to have kids. Like, I'm 30 years old. My clock is ticking. I mean, all those goofy things that we do and say. Um, and I, I had a relationship in, in 2006 when I was 31. And it ended two years later and it was a pretty bad breakup and all that. And I remember I was just like, I had this conversation with someone. It's so stupid. Yeah, some of the things I said back there are so ridiculous. I said, I think about getting married and having kids as like a journey or a destination. And right now I'm still sitting at home. The car's in the garage and the keys are lost. Like I remember I told somebody that, you know, and like in my mind, it was like, I'm so far away from, you know, meeting someone and having a family and, you know, that stuff so far down the road, I was like frustrated about how long it was going to take and all the steps that I needed to like to get there and everything else. And um, 18 months later, I was married and had a son. And so I think that's another one of those lessons, too, that like if, if you're constantly thinking, you know, oh, well, I'm here and when I get there, I'll be better. And when I get there, I'll be better. And, you know, putting these timelines on things, you just never know. Um, so here's how I met my wife. I needed some shirts. And so I went shopping on a Sunday to buy some polo shirts and I walked into the store and I was like, man, that woman's beautiful. And the store was dead because it was like Sunday morning. And so I started talking to her and talking to her. And I think we ended up talking for about an hour. Um, and then she told me that she had a boyfriend. And I was like, oh, well, that's no good. So my my decision, because you know how stubborn I am and, and persistent, um, I just thought, well, if I keep going back and buying clothes, then we'll see what happens. You know, give me some more touch points. Give me a little bit more FaceTime and, you know, let's just see what happens. So over like the next several months, I would say probably for, it probably took me about five months, Kelly. Um, I had the best wardrobe of anyone I knew. I had more designer shirts and suits. And, and then the more I would go back, like the more expensive stuff I would buy because, you know, it's just like, wow, I really want to impress her. And, and I'll help her get her sales up too. So I just kept shopping at this store and I would just go in like literally every other day just to see her and talk to her. And then of course I couldn't be there without buying stuff. So I had more clothes than I knew what to do with. And five months later, her boyfriend broke up and you know, we were together. One of the first things that we did actually was we actually went out to, um, to Vegas for a gathering. That was one of the first places that we went as a couple. I think we started dating in March and then in June, 
Um, we were on a plane flying out to Vegas and she came out there with me and, you know, Uncle Stevie hooked me up with the Lion King tickets and the penthouse suite and all that great stuff. So that didn't hurt. Um, but honestly, meeting her was completely unexpected. And then, you know, now everything that I have and do is because of her and built around her. And, you know, these two great kids and I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're the three greatest things in my life. There's no question. And now all of a sudden, not only does everything else have more purpose, but it's all for them. You know, the things that I go out and accomplish, it's not for me. I don't care. I could live in a one bedroom apartment and as long as I could watch the Gators and the Bucks, I'd be fine. But I want to create, you know, the best possible life for them and the best experiences for them. So you're absolutely right, man. There, that was definitely a turning point in my life where I had to get more serious, but not because of me, because of other people. So also you said that uh, something happened, uh, you know, in your, in your thirties, um, that, that was kind of a life changer. And I think a lot of times we live in cycles, right? So, uh, and you're, you, you being in the financial world and being at the level that you are and helping people to be able to change their futures, you're helping people to be able to break their cycles. Most of the time people can't get out of cycles. Um, if they grow up in a single, uh, single mom home, a lot of times, um, you know, they gravitate, like say ladies that grow up in a single, uh, with a single mom, a lot of times, <clears throat> you know, they, they have a relationship that's very similar. Um, and so breaking those cycles is so, so very important. Um, when you were in your thirties and you met your pop, you were loved by your mom. Um, as a little boy growing up, there's probably, you know, questions or things like that. When you meet your pop, like, what did you learn? Like, what did you learn when you, when you got a chance to be able to meet him and you're an adult at this point. So it's not like you're striving or, you know, struggling for it. Will you hug me or anything like that? Although it probably, you probably wanted him to, but what were some of the lessons that you picked up on and the, the, the cycles that you wanted to be able to break? question i was nervous to meet him um the only reason why i even met my dad and and the only reason why that relationship ever happened um is because of my son um my my oldest son donovan was was two years old and we were sitting at the dinner table one day and he said well dad where's your dad and i was like bro you're two (laughs) like i don't have more time like i thought maybe we'd have that conversation when you're when you're five (laughs) but Again, I think that's a testament to him and how, how bright and aware he is. Um, but at two years old, he said that I was, Oh my gosh, what, what, you know, what am I going to do with this? And then, um, it was weird. You know, life just happens in, in the way that it happens. Um, my dad and I like connected on social media, like shortly thereafter. And if my son hadn't said that, I don't know that I would have even responded. I think I probably would have been like, you know, I've made it this far in my life. I'm good. Um, but you know, again, it's weird to meet your dad when you're already married and you already have kids. And so, I was I was nervous um, to bring him around them, and so the first time that we met, you know, he was like, "I can't believe I have a grandson because I'm his only child." Um, so he found out that he was a grandfather when he met me. He had no idea, and he said, "You know, I can't wait to meet my grandson." And I was like, nah, "Slow down, um, you and I can meet first. And um, so we, I remember we we met and um, we had lunch, and you know, we just kind of talked over lunch and. Yeah, I remember the first thing that he said to me, because I just want to be really clear with you. He said, um, whatever your mom has told you about me in the past, it's all true. It's all true. Because I'm not here to argue it. I'm not here to try and change your perception of me. He said, that's, that's absolutely who I was. 
He said, I was, I was addicted to crack cocaine. I went down a, you know, a wormhole of addiction and, and all the things that you've heard about me said, I don't care what they are. They're all true. And I respected that. I really did respect that. And, um, so that made it a little easier and that eased some of the, the awkwardness and the tension a little bit, um, that we didn't have to compare notes about what I'd heard about him and what's actually true. He's like, just throw it out the window. It's all true. Let's make it that simple. And then the next thing that happened is, um, he told me, he kept apologizing, and I could, I could see the guilt that he had um, over the missed years and, you know, all of, all of those things from not being there. And um, I remember one day I told him, I said, listen, if this is going to work, you got to stop doing all that. you got to stop doing that. Like, I'm here. I'm in a good place. I was loved growing up. I had a network of family and friends that supported me. i got a beautiful wife. I've got a son. Like, I'm good. So please don't kick yourself or beat yourself up over this anymore. Let's just move forward and not, and not focus on the past. So I think his owning the past and me forgiving him for that past, those two things that happened the very first day that we met kind of paved the way for us to have a much more natural relationship moving forward. And if I'm being completely honest, Kelly, I, I love my dad. I love him. I'm glad that he's in my life. Um, I don't know that there's ever been a person that I've just more naturally gotten along with. Um, we are just so similar. I mean, in so many ways. And that kind of goes back to the nature versus nurture argument. You know, we're biologically the same, but I never knew him until I was in my mid thirties. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, this guy's so much like me and, and I'm so much like him in so many ways. And we just get along. Like we just, we, we, we get along very easily. But the truth of the matter is though, you know, he's probably more best friend than dad. I mean, I don't know that you can meet somebody at 33 years old and be like, okay, you're my dad now. I'm your son and, and, and sort of merge into those parental roles. Um, we're great friends and, you know, we've got a great friendship. Now he is the grandfather to my kids and he plays that role well. Um, and they love him in that role. But for he and I, um, it's great, but it's, it's probably not the relationship that you and Big Tom have. It's probably very different, quite honestly. What what are some of the grandpop things that he says? Like, you know, my pop, like my pop has always called me boy. He's always like, boy, what are you doing? Over there? You know, he's always got something. He's always got some saying that he goes to all the time uh, and, and he's listening right now. So what are some what are some of the things that your dad says that that grandpop says to your son? And then you find yourself at times maybe saying those things, too, because I'm doing that right now, too. I don't know, Kelly. I, again, that's that. I think that's one of the differences in the relationship. He doesn't do a lot of that. Um, my dad's just really chill. He's just, you know, um, it's funny because I think grandparents uh, are sort of known for trying to tell their kids how to parent. Like, I, I don't know if that ever happens with your dad or, or with Brooke's parents, but sometimes, like, I think grandparents are known for being like, well, I raised you, and therefore I can give you advice on how you should raise your kids. And like my dad doesn't come anywhere near that. He doesn't broach any of that, man. My dad's just, he's just real chill. I think he's just so grateful um, to have this relationship and be in our lives that a lot of times when he's around my kids, he's just laughing. Like literally, he's just, my dad, like, like loud belly laughs every time he's around my son. Um, and it's, I don't, it's not a lot of advice or grandfatherly wisdom. It's just, he just enjoys being there and he's just real chill. So, you know, again, I think it's, it's probably a product of us having a very different uh, very different relationship. So I, I I love what what 
you talked about earlier and what you're talking about right now too. And, you know, you were able to unconsciously break cycles or was that a conscious thing? Because you see the um, cycles that were there for you. You were, I mean, you, you, you worked through them. Was it, was it conscious? Was it something that you said, Hey, this is what I want to do. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I always knew that growing up without my dad, I always knew that I wanted to be the best possible dad I could be. I always knew that. Um, you know, I always knew growing up, you know, seeing my mom have marriages that didn't work out, that I wanted to be the best possible husband I could be. Um, you know, how did I break the cycles? I don't know. Uh, that would take me a lot of time and introspection to figure out. But I know that those things were more heavily prioritized in my life because of what I was around um, when I was young. And, and I'll say this, I just had this conversation with another friend last night. I've never ever subscribed to the, the, the theory of being a product of your environment, never. Um, my best friend in this world, um, Sean Keith, we've been friends for 35 plus years. And he tells me all the time, he says, Chris, I am so blown away by your ability to adapt. He said, it just doesn't seem to matter where you come from, what you go through. He said, I feel like I could drop you in any room in America and you could acclimate yourself to that room. He said, and to me, that just goes to show what you've been through. And then another time he told me this, he said, if I were to write just the factual details of your life from, you know, being a single child, an only child raised by a single mother, father addiction problems, like he said, if I wrote out all the details of your life, just the facts, and asked people to make assumptions about where you are today, 100 out of 100 people would get it wrong. He said, you have overshot every single one of those assumptions. And I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that unless he's telling me and reminding me of it. Um, but I do know this. I know that there were plenty of opportunities for me to, to give up. You know, when I was about to fail out of college, I could have given up. You know, after a bad relationship, I could have given up. I mean, there have been a million opportunities in my life for me to give up. And yet it was just never even, I never fathomed it. It was never an option. It was never really more than a fleeting thought um, because those things were so prevalent in my mind that I'm going to graduate college, even though no one else in my family has. I'm going to have a successful, loving marriage, even though I wasn't surrounded by that growing up. I'm going to be an unbelievable father to my kids, even though I didn't have that experience growing up. So I think the absence of those things made me prioritize them even more and probably helped me to, to succeed. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by Squeeze Dried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. SqueezeDried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's CardenasLawGroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening. Hopefully, you're continuing to enjoy the episode. Let me ask you this question. You're in the financial world, okay? So you help people to be able to create structures in their life, not just for the money part of it, just so they can have more freedom, so they can have more less stress, and they can live and live out their purpose. Am I correct? Because it's not just about them saving money. It's about a holistic side of a sustainable life because I look at you. I mean, Chris, I have never seen you better than I see you today. Like, you are... No, I just, so, just so you know, today... I am the absolute best version of myself that I've ever been until tomorrow. That is a fact. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I tell you, I mean, and you see it. And when I say that, like, it's, it's like you're sitting in the pocket. And when, I, when you sit in the pocket, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to go anyplace. You just, you're just sitting in it. So let me ask you this question. If you can only choose one, love or finances? Is that even a question? Because I think a lot of times our listeners out there, right? It may not be a question to you, but a lot of times people think if I get my money right, then I'll find the love. Then everything yeah. will get right. Yeah. It's completely false. I mean, I, I said it earlier. I mean, the fact of the matter is until you love something more than yourself, you'll never care enough to get your finances right or anything else right in your life, quite honestly. It's, it's the the injection of something or someone in your life that you care about more than your own being that allows us to have the, the perspective to become successful in those areas. And it's funny, you know, when you talk about my business, I don't know if we've talked about it a lot. Maybe that's why you said it, but you talked a lot about holistic and, and philosophy. And it's funny because that those are words that I use and I can't give financial advice on a podcast, so I, I've been careful about how I say this. But one of the things that I think separates me from, you know, 95% of my industry is the way that I approach what I do. Um, I'm very process driven. And a lot of people in my industry want to talk about numbers and graphs and charts and lines. And that's how they make financial decisions. And so they might say, okay, well, Kelly, you need X number of dollars to retire. And how much can you save and how long you're going to save it and what's the rate of return going to be? And, and it's always this formula. And for me, I've always thought that's just kind of like arbitrary and guesswork. because There's too many variables that we don't control. And so if I can't control the variables, then, I, then a formula means nothing. to me. And so my approach to my life is actually my approach to my career. And it's this. It's let's focus on the process and the result will take care of itself. So let's just let's just declare today that these five boxes are the most important five boxes of our financial process. And let's make a promise to ourselves and our family and our business that we're going to check every single one of those five boxes every single day. And if we do that, we set up a system that allows that to happen systematically and we check every box along the way and we did every step of the process along the way, then whatever the result is, I'm confident that that was the optimal result for you. And I'm not talking about finance here, by the way. Yes, that is how I operate my, my business. But that's true in any step of life. I don't care what you want to do. Do every step of the process right. And wherever you end up is where you were meant to be. Too many times people focus on the result, and then they lose sight of the process. I say stay focused on the process and the result will take care of itself. And I don't think enough people recognize that. And I didn't recognize it when I was younger. What were some of the or give me the top three bonehead uh, financial decisions that you made that we can learn from, that we can learn from now. And that, that, that the people out there that are hearing are like, oh, wow, I can relate to that. I did that thing. If I, sh if I shift this, it's like, it's like this, uh, you know, in, in, in my profession, in the uh, professional beauty industry, right? If I walk into a salon, literally, like I can assess where a person is standing when they're cutting long layers and I can adjust their elbow or adjust their two feet like 45 degrees and change everything that they're doing, change the connection point with the guest um, and change how long the haircut will actually last. What are those things that you see that were boneheaded that you did 
and that could just shift. How much time do we have? Um, I think one of the biggest bonehead financial decisions that I ever made was um, back in, in about 2005, I had a ton of friends that were just, I mean, making a killing flipping houses. I mean, I was just watching them like 70, 80, 90 grand a flip. And I was like, yeah, I want some of that. I want to do that. And so I, I just decided one day that I was a house flipper and got some lists of some wholesale properties and started buying some properties. And I didn't know the first thing about flipping houses. I didn't, I, I could barely hold a hammer. And, um, you know, I remember uncle Stevie was one of the biggest critics of me doing that. And, uh, in hindsight, he was right. You were right. Uncle, you were right. Um, He's like, you know, you just, this isn't how you do it because you don't come in and get a hard money loan and pay it off in 18 months and flip the house and, you know, make 80 grand. He's like, you, you don't know the first thing about this. Um, and I didn't. And man, I got so upside down in all of that. And, you know, there was times like, you know, of course we know now that, you know, the economy sort of crashed in 2008 and real estate bubble burst. And, you know, when all that happened, I, I had oh, four or five mortgages at the time and, and no job, no income, you know, I mean, I'm like the poster child for why the real estate bubble burst. But, um, but no, that's one, that's one of them. There's some advice there. Don't, don't get heavily invested in an area that you know nothing about. Um, that's definitely one. I had another buddy of mine. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, what a, what a bonehead stretch this was for me. Um, convinced me to invest a bunch of money in a, um, in a, a, a silver mining company in Nevada and they were like going to explode and they were going to get acquired by another company and blah, blah, blah. And I think to this day, I still own 402,000 shares of this mining company in Nevada. And the shares are worth like one tenth of one penny each or something. Um, I'm still waiting for that one to take off. So that's a good one. Um, and then I would say the other one, and there's probably a lot of people that fall prey to this, one, especially when you're young and you're single. Um, when I was in my late twenties and early thirties, I had an Irish pub that I just loved more than anything. Um, and when I say love more than anything, I mean, I was there five days a week. Um, so shout out to O'Brien's Irish pub in Carrollwood, Florida. Um, and I don't necessarily regret it because I had some great times and some unbelievable memories and still today have some tremendous friendships that were forged at that pub. But I probably dropped about a quarter of a million dollars in that pub throughout my 20s and 30s. And then that quarter of a million dollars probably could have grown to about 1.5 to $2 million today. So financially, that wasn't the best decision that I could have made. Uh, but man, I had a lot of fun, though. <laughs> I think I think it was a good investment. I believe it was a good investment. Hey, Chris, it's hard. It's hard to weigh that one. <laughs> I love it because uh, you know the connection point with you right from the beginning. I mean, it was like you and I were brothers right away when we met because we were in places that, um, you know, people aspired to be in, right? But we were there and we connected on this kind of ghetto level. Like we were looking around saying like, you know, we were quoting Biggie in, in, in rooms where no one knew what that was talking about. I remember when you, uh, you know, when you met Brooklyn the first time and I walked into the bar and you were like, where Brooklyn at? Where Brooklyn at? And we, we had this connection point. Talk to us about some of the ghettoest things you've ever done in your life. Well, first of all, um, 
shout out to that trip in March of 2006, the Midwest Beauty Show in Chicago, Illinois. And shout out to Uncle Stevie for, for inviting me on that trip. That's the first trip I ever went on with him. He actually reached out to me in, in that year. And he said, hey, would you want to come on the road and, and help me with some shows? And I'll pay you and you'll have a great time. And I was like, well, yeah, why would I not want to do that? And so that was the first show I ever went on. And, uh, and you were the first person that I met. And, um, man, that was awesome. That was such a great time. And there's so many stories. And I don't know if we're going to get into some of those stories. But uh, I'll say this. I, when you said the story, I thought this, though. I'm not, I'm not going where you think I'm going. I'm going here. You said we were both in positions that people aspire to be in. And I completely agree with that. And I'll go a step farther and say neither one of those positions were right for us. So even though we were in these positions that people aspired to be and neither one of us were where we were supposed to be. And, um, and we were just figuring it out. Each of us was just figuring it out. And now 15 years later, wow, 15 years later, crazy. Well, it's, cra- um, it's crazy, Chris. Yeah. It's crazy, Chris, because like when I say that we were in places that people aspired, but we were just enjoying our time. Like we were just there, yeah. like we were connecting while everybody else was like, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to get here. I'm trying to get, not to say every person was, but if they, you would have looked at those type of positions, um, you would have said, Oh my God, that that's the, that's the end. And for us, we were just hanging out. We were boys. Just the so, beginning. Yeah. Go. Yeah. And, and it was, it was just the beginning. And we didn't know that by the way, but I, I, looking back, I know that, you know, that I was meant to, to live this life and you were meant to wear that shirt. And so at the end of the day, um, not, we didn't know what was to come. And that's what I think is really cool about it. <laughs> Ghetto things, I don't know. I mean, they all of it, right? Like, I remember one time I had a, um, I was all about having bass in my car when I was younger, like, you know, in my teenage years. Um, but I never had the money to, like, do it the right way. And so, um, you know, I remember I, 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 I wired a house speaker up um, in, the, in the hatch of my car one time. And it was like a just a normal, you know, back then you had the three foot tall house speakers in your living room and I couldn't afford a subwoofer and an amp and all that. So I just took it out of the house and wired it up and, and uh, it was all right. You know, Got it wasn't base. great, but it was all right. Hey, Chris, we are, we are, uh, from the same family because we had a Toyota Corolla, uh, station wagon. It was a two door coupe. We had house speakers in the back. And on top of that, I took a bicycle reflector, right? Off my bike um, I put electrical tape all over the front of it, and then I exacto knifed out the word boom and put a Christmas light inside the back of it and connected it to the positive and negative speaker wire because once the bass hits, then the light goes. So every time <laughs> every time <laughs> that the bass would go, it would say boom right in the front with the electrical tape. So I, I, here's, a, here's another one. I worked at a, at a restaurant. Um, I was probably in my early 20s, and I, I worked at a restaurant like, I think it was actually when I came back from Florida. So after my mom came and snatched me out of college, um, I got a job as, as a, in a restaurant as a, as a server. And one of the guys that I worked in the restaurant with, a guy named Jose, he was just real tech savvy with alarm systems and stereo systems and all that. And so um, I saved up enough money uh, to buy a car. It was actually, it was Uncle Stevie's brother's car. And, and, uh, and Uncle Steve helped me to buy the car. But it was just like the first nice car I ever owned. It was like a beautiful blue uh, Chrysler LeBaron with the white rag top. And I was able to put a little boom in the trunk and all that. And then I had this guy, Jose, hook up my alarm system. And he put a little switch inside of it that if you flipped it, the alarm would start going off. So I could drive down the street and turn my alarm on if I wanted to. But he showed me that if you pull it backwards, if you push the switch forward, the alarm went off. 
But if you put, pulled the switch backwards, it went. So literally, like, how how ignorant is this? I'd be driving around top down, boom in the back, and like see some girl on the side of the road and flip the switch back, and my car would whistle at her. Like that's pretty. That's pretty obnoxious. <laughs> so so okay. When when we were kids, we had this the seventy one Corolla station wagon. Shout out to my pop because my my pop fixed it, and you know he was doing what he could. And but we had this car, and I wanted all I wanted was when NWA came out, they were talking about 50 series tires and uh, they were talking about, you know, rims that were larger, everything like that. That's all I wanted. I wanted 50 series tires on this Corolla station wagon. We didn't have any money. And I thank God that we did not have any money because I would have had the worst looking Corolla station wagon in the world. What, what thing that you wanted, are you glad now that you didn't have the money to be able to get when you were a kid? Neon. I wanted neon under my car so bad. Oh man, like neon was it. And everybody had the car, the big rims and the neon. And I mean, if I was allowed to Kelly, like in, I would say back in like the, the mid to late nineties, if I had the resources to do it, I would have probably had mm, maybe some sort of a like late model Impala with like 27 inch gold rims, like gold brooms on it. And it would have had neon and it would have had hydraulics. I mean, I would have this incredibly ridiculous vehicle. And now looking back on it, I'd be like, why in the world did I invest that kind of money in that kind of car? Uh, but yeah, it was definitely neon was probably the one that was most reasonable and feasible that I absolutely would have done. Hey, where Brooklyn at? Where Brooklyn at? Is Brooklyn in the house? Where Brooklyn Without at? Without a doubt. Where Brooklyn What's at? up? <laughs> <laughs> what what up, Brooke? How are you, man? You're looking good. I'm so good. How are you? Dude, no, I'm, I'm just doing... trying to keep up with you two. Mm-mm, no, I'm doing great. So good to see your handsome face. No, you too. I love you guys so you... much. You're the best. No, you guys are rapping. I love it. I love it. You the one talking, uh, when you're listening when you're listening to this, you're hearing my wife and and Chris. The only reason why he's friends with me is because of Brooklyn. <laughs> no. He loves. Lo- lo- Look at that smile. He yeah. loves him some Brooklyn more than anything. Aww. And I, I tell you, when we were talking about wives and we were talking about changing of the lives, um, you know, I, a shout out to every single person out there of having patience and <laughs> having patience to let the chicken heads fly by and wait for the person who's going to lift you up. And I know, Chris, you have it in your life. I have it in my life. And it's out there for every single person. Well, if it's out there for us, it has to be out there for everybody, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love you guys. You guys have fun. Yes. I can't wait to hear everything. So back to to Neon. Back to Neon, my man. Okay. So now tell me, okay, because we're not talking about that. We're not going to name the type of money Chris has now. But Chris's business tripled, and he said, I could go on trips, I could buy cars, I could buy houses if I wanted to. If my kid wanted something right now, I could go do it. If I wanted some neon on my ride right now, Chris could go get him some neon. What are some of the ghetto things that you still do to this day, even though you got money, Chris? Oh, that's a good question. Um, So we won't say the kind of money I have. We'll just say, like, it's... It's not the kind of money I had five years ago, and it's not quite Kelly Cardenas money. So somewhere in between those two. That's a big range, by the way, but somewhere between those two. Um, man, I don't know. Um, gosh, I don't know. I think everything I do now, it just feels so normal. 
But like, yeah, if somebody was able to peel back the curtains and look at my life for a day, they'd be like, what, what are you doing there? Like, I don't, I don't know, man. I, you know, one of the things I think it's not really ghetto, but I think I just, I just, I think I keep things longer than maybe most people do. I mean, um, you know, I've got a smoker right now. I, I love throwing down on the smoker and cooking some barbecue. And um, I've got a smoker that I've had for like nine years. And I talk all the time about buying a new smoker. And I could buy a new smoker, but I just, I just don't. I don't know. Like, I think maybe that's one thing. Like, why don't I just go buy a new smoker? I mean, they have these, like, beautiful smokers out there now that, you know, they tell you the internal temperature of the meat. They tell you the internal temperature of the smoker. They Wi-Fi signal you all the information to your phone. And I, I don't I don't know. Like I, I guess I could probably do more things. I don't know what I do this ghetto, man. I'm gonna. I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep track of it this week, and then I'm gonna circle back and give you a list. I can, can I tell you one that I did this week that I I, I channeled my dad uh, because my dad was always the guy who said, "Boy, you don't need to go buy that. Use what you got." And that's what he was always. He was always use what you got. And it was because you know he we had limited resources. We had tons of resourcefulness, but we had limited resources. My son asked for some, uh, some, some Ollie assist, uh, things for his wheels. They're these little square shout out to them. Hopefully they'll sponsor the podcast at some time, but they're little square contraptions that go on a skateboard wheel that hold your skateboard in place. So you can Ollie and you, you're not rolling around. And he said he wanted those. He's like, dad, I saw these on YouTube and I think we should buy them. I said, boy, Go get me some cardboard and some duct tape. <laughs> and I, I wrapped cardboard around his skateboard wheels with duct tape and made him some, uh, some skate trainers is what he calls them, skate trainers. So they're out in the garage right now, um, and they're just pieces of sleeves of cardboard, but they, they worked out. So I do, want yeah. you, I do want you to register these things. So what, how, how is this, as we, as we move into that, is – with your kids, right? So you're a bootstraps guy. You, you, you brought yourself up bootstraps. You grew up with very little, but you had all types of love and that pushed you through. How are you able to push the next generation into having a bootstraps mentality without actually having to pull themselves up by their bootstraps? I don't know. <laughs> I, it, it's such an internal battle for me um, because it's critically important to me. It is. I, I believe that the struggle and the sacrifice builds character and, and it readies you for, for the next, you know, the next struggle and the next battle. Um, I had a conversation with a friend recently where, you know, we talked about the fact that this, this career is kind of like chapter three for me, you know, and do I believe that I will be in this career until I retire? I, I genuinely do. Um, but guess what? I felt that way twice before. And so the fact of the matter is that, you know, we don't know what, what, what the possible threats are. I mean, two years ago, I didn't believe that a global pandemic was like a viable thing. You know, somebody would have told me that uh, 2020, you know, pandemic, everything's going to shut down. You got to wear a mask. And I'm like, I'd be like, you're crazy, you know? And so there are all these variables out there, many of which are just completely unknown. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the future holds. Um, but I do know this though. If this career were to end tomorrow, you know, for reasons that were just beyond my control, I'm a thousand percent confident that I would reinvent myself again in some other way, in some other capacity, in some other arena. Um, and I think part of the reason why I have the ability to do that is because I have a broad skill set. You know, I've always been told that, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. And so I think that broad skill set was developed over time and over struggle and over sacrifice and having to learn how to do things on my own. And so um, there's value in that. And, you know, I don't know that everybody could say that. I don't know that everyone that's successful in their career right now could say that if tomorrow their career got wiped out, they're confident that they could go out and reinvent themselves and, and do it. Um, I've already done it three times. And so I can say with extreme confidence that I would be able to do it again. Um, but that comes through struggle and sacrifice. And I want my kids to have that, that same mentality. I want them to have that same tenacity. I want them to have that same broad skill set. Um, but I also want my kids to reap the benefit of my hard work, of my labor. I want them to have a great life. And so I, I just try to toe that line of, of giving them things but still talking to them about the value of appreciation. And um, I think sometimes I do a good job at it. And then I think sometimes these kids just have no idea how good they have it. And it's always going to be a struggle to maintain that balance. Well, I want to encourage you, Chris, because any person who watches you or gets to observe you or gets to see you up close um, every one of them learns that lesson because of the humility that you have, because of the hard work that you have, and because you're constantly adapting in every single thing. For our listeners out there, what, what three things could you give them to help to uh, forge that ability to adapt? Um, I think one of the most important things that you can do is to give other people value. Um, you know, it's funny, you mentioned earlier that you know, you're at like 27,500 downloads on the podcast. Um, I do a Monday motivation video that gets watched by like 500 people. And I, for one second, almost thought like, oh man, 27,000, that's incredible. And then I immediately re reminded myself that those are just numbers. It doesn't matter whether 500 people watch my, my Monday motivation video or 5,000 people watch it. If I create value and, and I deliver that value to people, um, they'll come. And so I think one of the things I, I saw something online the other day that literally spoke right to my soul. Uh, it was a woman. I can't remember her name. I wish I could. I think she's like the CEO of a company called Boss Babe, um, if anybody wants to look her up. But she had a quote that said, the goal should not be um, to become successful. The goal should be to become valuable. When you provide value to other people, you can stop chasing success and it will automatically attract itself to you. And I mean, that like punched me like in the gut. I mean, that spoke directly to my soul. And I was like, whoa, because I could not agree more. And so, you know, rather than chasing success and numbers and dollars and, you know, measures and milestones, I think one of the best things that people can do is just find ways to be valuable to the people around you. And when people see value in you, they want to be around you. They're attracted to you and they want to be in your corner and on your team. And then with that will come all the success that you need, no matter what. Um, I think another thing you asked for three. So I think another thing that people can do is always be open to change. Um, I was very resistant to change when I was young. And my oldest son, Donovan, is the same way I was at that age. He's very resistant to change. Um, COVID and, and, and homeschool and all the things that have come with that um, has been a very difficult struggle for him. Um, and he doesn't struggle in many things. Uh, but he has struggled tremendously with that. And it's because he's just change averse. And so um, I remember as goofy as it sounds, I remember like a, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine when I was young gave me the book, Who Moved My Cheese? And she's like, you can read this book in one day. And I was like, I don't want to read a book about mice and cheese. What is this? And so just, you know, to be nice to her, I read it. 
Um, and I remember that changed my whole life. It was like, man, why am I, why am I trying to control everything? Like, why am I trying to control all of these elements and variables that really are uncontrollable? And so one of the things that you'll hear me talk to my kids about now is control what you can control. And that's it. Everything else is going to take care of itself, but control the things that you can control. Um, it goes back to earlier when we talked about being process driven. So I think being open to change, um, controlling what you can control and accepting the rest um, is a big part of, of being adaptable. And then the last thing that I would say is just always surround yourself with great people. I mean, you know, I think it's kind of cheesy. People say, well, you're the sum of the five people that are closest to you. Cheesy, but it's true. Um, and when I go back and look at the, the dark periods of my life, I was surrounded by people that were going through their own dark periods. Um, and it's interesting to look back and now realize how many of those dark periods were self-inflicted, not just by me, but by them. And misery loves company. And so, boy, would we sit around and commiserate and, you know, talk about how bad things were. And, you know, it's just sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you sit around and commiserate, the worse things get. Um, so I would say that would be the third thing is just surround yourself with great people, positive people, um, so that no matter what you're going through, they make you believe that everything is great, even when it's not. I know on the podcast, you're not allowed to give financial advice. I understand this. Don't Al you get me in trouble. Although tips as far as principle based that you give me three things that a person could do right now that could start to shape shift uh, what the, what they're doing within their finances. And we're talking about vague kind of things, principle wise that, you know, like say for instance, I got a chance to be able to talk with a couple of kids and I want to, I, I would love to, we're, we're going to talk after um, about this, but we talked about the fact that when I became aware that if you took $250 um, a month, from the time you were 22 years old till the time you uh, retired, which is at 60, at 38 years, um, and you did it in a in a in an account with compounded interest, you would end up you would amass almost $713,000. Um, you would almost be a millionaire just by saving $250 a month. Um, I'm not asking for specifics like that. I just said that I'm not a financial advisor, so I can say that. Okay, but. What would be some of the things that could shapeshift that's based off the principle-wise that could help people along on their journey? Okay. I have to be very careful here. i got to choose my words very carefully. Right. Um, everyone, everyone has the ability to save money, period. So you told me a story earlier about the fact that, you know, you were making $560 a month and your rent was $540 a month. Um, that is not a great financial position to be in where – you know, 97% of the money you make goes directly to your housing. Um, some people would say you were living above your means, although I'm sure it didn't feel like it in that $540 a month apartment. Um, but, you know, what I would say is this. If you're if you're struggling, and, and this is, I'm really going to break it down in a very simple form, but I think a lot of people need simplicity. If you're struggling financially and your electric bill is $100 a month, do you pay it? Yes. Of course we pay it. We have to pay the electric bill. Let's say the next month the electric bill is 130 instead of 100. Do you pay it? Yes, we absolutely pay it. Let's say the next month the electric bill is $150 a month. Do we pay it? Yes. So again, I'm not trying to be redundant here or oversimplify things, but what I am trying to say is this. Human beings are highly adaptive people by nature. And so what happens is if your electric bill is 100 or 130 or 150, you will still get it paid. 
And the way that you're able to get it paid is that you're spending less money somewhere else. You're probably doing it completely subconsciously because the reality is people spend money differently on a subconscious level based on the amount of money that's available to be spent. That's a fact. Like if I have 10 grand sitting in the bank account and I'll see something that I want that costs two grand, I might consider it. In the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I could buy that and still have eight grand in the bank. If I've got two grand in the bank and I see something that costs $2,000, I don't even consider buying. So the reality is that if we have the ability to adapt and raise and lower our spending around making sure that we're paying our bills on time, then what if we just treated saving money like a bill? What if we paid our savings like a bill? Because when you're struggling financially, the water bill still gets paid, maybe late, but it gets paid. The electric bill still gets paid. You probably have a Netflix account. You probably have a cell phone bill that's over a hundred bucks a month. All those bills get paid. And then we adapt those lifestyle expenses to fit around that. And so one of the biggest things that I would say is no matter how much money you make, if you make your savings a bill and treat it just like you treat your bills, then you should be able to save money at any income level. Now, admittedly, it will be harder at certain income levels. But again, I saw a stat the other day that said, I think they surveyed, I don't, I, they surveyed people like 35 to 44 years old. The median income was $90,000 a year. 90% of them said that they subscribed to a budget. And 98% of them, I think, or 94%, I don't remember the exact number, said that they didn't have $5,000 saved. Well, if you make $90,000 a year and you subscribe to a budget and you don't have $5,000 in savings, you either have a really bad budget or you suck at sticking to it. And so again, if we can overly prioritize the amount of money that we save, even at an early age, like you said, I, and I knew that stat when I was 25 years old or 22 years old, I knew it and I still didn't do it. You know, when I, I got my first job in, um, it's actually my second job in television, 2005. So in 2005, I was 30 years old. At 30 years old, I got a job, 401k, and they gave me the chart that said, if you're this age and you contribute this much and at this rate of return, when you're 65 years old, you'll have this much money. And I looked at it and I was like, man, that's a lot of money. Or I could not contribute, keep more of this money today and go to O'Brien's Irish Pub tonight. Um, you know, reality, that's, that's the realistic choice that I made. And so, uh, again, I, I tell, I tell clients a lot that 65 year old you and 75 year old you and 85 year old you are 100% dependent upon today's you to make the right decision. And we just don't know it yet because we haven't met those people yet. But me 30, 40 and 50 years from now is 100% relying on me making the right financial decisions. And so it's critically important for me. Um, to prioritize savings over lifestyle and treat my savings like a bill. And I haven't even talked about investing, rate of return, or none of that, because I know this. You'll always do better off by saving more money, even if you get a smaller rate of return, than you will by saving less money and hoping that the magic of the stock market will solve that problem for you. Rate of savings is so greatly underappreciated in today's financial world. Everyone wants to talk about rate of return, but nobody wants to talk about rate of savings. And so what I tell people is save more, treat it like a bill, prioritize it, and start as soon as you can. Wow. <clears throat> Bombs dropped. So right on the thought of 80-year-old you is dependent on 40-year-old you. 
there's a young man that his 40-year-old self, 42-year-old self, is dependent on his 22, 23-year-old self, and he's about to play in the Super Bowl. Call it for us, Chris. Well, I didn't know if we could talk about this because by the time this airs, the game will be over. No, no, no. I'm hey, hey. Because we're talking about this, this thing is going to drop. Like we're dropping, and we're going to drop before the Super Bowl. We have Chris Garrido here, uh, University of Florida Gators, and he's about to give his prediction. Now you're allowed to well, do I that. Appreciate- you're allowed to do this, yeah, right? Well, yeah, I- I can do that all day. Okay. I can do all that right. all day. Give it to us, Chris. I, I you gotta break it I down. I appreciate that you I appreciate that you did that chomp right over left. Too many people go left over right. It's embarrassing. It's always right <laughs> over left. Um I'll say this. I am completely biased. Completely biased. Um I was born in nineteen seventy five. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were born in nineteen seventy six. This has been my entire life. Um we just got done going to the NFC Championship game for only the fourth time in our franchise's history. We won it for the second time. This will be our second Super Bowl. First one was 2002 season. It was January of 2003, Super Bowl 38. Uh, I was working in sports broadcasting at the time, so I got to cover it as, as a, a member of the media. And the reality of it is when Derek Brooks kicked off that ball at the end of that game to steal that victory, um, I literally hit my knees and started bawling. Not crying, bawling. Um, so it means a lot. And, and just like I know you are about Titans football, um, I feel the exact same way about the Bucs. It's, it's been my whole life. So I'm completely biased when I say this, but there are reasons why I say it. I believe that the Bucs win this game. And I believe that the Bucs will win this game by a touchdown or more. And the reason why I feel that way is there's a lot of different reasons. But number one, we're talking about a team now that literally hasn't lost in the last seven games. The last time they lost, coincidentally enough, was to the Chiefs in Raymond James Stadium. And now we come back to the scene of the crime against the Chiefs again. I think the biggest difference, though, is the Chiefs, to me, are the same team that they were back then and maybe not quite as good. They've had some injury situations. Patrick Mahomes had a concussion. I mean, they're they're good. Don't get me wrong. The Chiefs offensively are firing on all cylinders. But we played about as bad as a game as we could have played. I think Tyreek Hill had 250 yards receiving in that game. No one could cover him. And we still battled back and lost that game by three points. We lost 27-24. So to me, we are a much better version of ourselves since that night. We've rattled off seven straight wins. We've beaten good teams. We beat the Saints on the road. We beat the Packers on the road. Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers won three consecutive road playoff games and now become the first. NFL team to ever play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. No, I mean, the stars couldn't be better aligned for the Bucks. And, oh, by the way, there's this guy named Tom Brady, and I think he's, like, pretty good in the postseason. Apparently, he, like, has won these things, like, six times before. So I'm telling you, I, I feel very, very confident that the Bucks win this game. And if they don't, um, then I'll be completely heartbroken. But I will say this, though. I still keep my perspective. Even if the Bucks do lose, what a season it's been. What an unbelievable ride it's been. It was a season that I never even thought would happen. I didn't think it would happen because of COVID. I was like, these guys are crazy to try and play football. It's going to get shut down in week five. And uh, they've made it happen, and we've made it this far. So i just say this, man. Sunday night, let's seal the deal. Tom Brady gets his seventh ring, and the Bucks as a franchise get their second. 
Love it, man. So you know why I started. I got goosebumps. Oh, I got goosebumps right now too. I I really, I'm feeling them too, man. Okay. You know why I started the podcast. There's two human beings on this earth. uh, Maddox and McKenna. Maddox is nine years old. You see him running around. Um, You you just saw McKenna and she is taller than Brooke now. Um, It's crazy. So I started the podcast for them because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself. I wanted to take people who were phenomenal people who happened to do great things. And people were telling me when I first started the podcast, they're like, oh, wow, what famous person do you want to get? And I said, the, the one that's really nice. Because I, I wasn't about the person doing these things. I was about a person being a phenomenal person. And whether they worked at the grocery store or they, you know, uh, uh, shine shoes or whatever it was. But I've been so fortunate because I've had so many iconic people like yourself that are that are so successful at what they do, not only in their business, but in their life. And I wanted to humanize you. I wanted my kids to see that Uncle Chris, who is like doing amazing, amazing things in his family coaching, uh, that you got the award, uh, Go Giver. Uh, I saw that too, and, and I want to congratulate you on it. You're doing these things, and you're, you're, you're seeing your finances triple in a year, which is amazing. But the real reason is because Uncle Chris has a phenomenal attitude and he has phenomenal work ethic. So what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use their names, it would be awesome. All right. So let me do two things here. Before I say their names, I'll say this. Um, I sit on a couple of boards. Um, I'm heavily involved with the Tampa Gator Club, which is the second largest University of Florida Alumni Association in the world. Um, But one of the boards that I sit on is an organization called Unsigned Preps. And unsigned prep since 2009 has helped hundreds of high school football players get tutoring, mentoring, exposure. We do college bus tours. A lot of these kids have never left the state, and now they go to Clemson and South Carolina and Florida and Florida State. They see these campuses, and all of a sudden college, because they can visualize it, now becomes a realistic you know, possibility for them. And I'll say this, um, the, the executive director and founder is one of my dear friends, Ricky Saylor, and he says this, and it's, I'm going to drop one profanity here, and I apologize in advance. You might have to beep it out. But he says this. He tells these young high school boys, he said, we'll teach you a million different things. We'll teach you football skills and life schools and education skills and all of that. He said, but there's one very simple lesson that I want all of you guys to remember. Just don't be an asshole. That's it. Because as long as you don't do that, people will always want to help you. People will always want to work with you. They'll always want to be around you. And I just think that that's such simple advice is just be a good person, right? Like people are drawn to good people. And I think that you'll actually get farther in life by being a good person and letting other people pick you up and lift you up and take you than you will by somehow, you know, trying to go it alone. Um, so that's one thing that when you said that, it just it reminded me of that piece of advice. Um, and I wanted to add that in there. The other thing that I'll say is this directly to your children. Okay. McKenna and Maddox, you all are so genuinely blessed to have been born to the parents that you were born to. And I would suggest that you do every single thing that you possibly can to live up to and exceed the example that they sent. Your father is a good-hearted person who is smart and intuitive and aware and has tremendous business savvy and knows how to make the people around him feel really, really good about themselves. He cares more about benefiting other people than he does his own personal life. And I think that selflessness is something that will take you both a long way. And your mother is one of my favorite people on the planet. 
And I love one of the things that she does in saying that she stays strict enough to have a plan, but flexible enough to go with the flow. And I think everybody could learn from that lesson. And so I think you are so blessed to have the parents that you have. They both care about others. They give unto themselves to make other people around them better. And you could take different things from their own business savvy and sense and the ability to motivate and inspire others. And uh, you guys are Cardenas kids, so I don't need to give you a whole lot of advice. Just follow the path that's set forth, and you guys are going to do amazing things. That's from Uncle Chris. Well, I thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, you know, I it, it is it has blown my mind. You blow my mind every single time. But not only the 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 nuggets that you give as far as the wisdom part of it, but also the fact and the and the humility. Because what I what I learned from you today is that it wasn't about the success that you had. It was about the process. It was about the ability to adapt immediately, and it was about all of the little things that you did along the way that got you prepared for this time now. And even when you were talking about saving, when you said your 85-year-old self is dependent on your 40-year-old self, I don't know about you listeners out there, but I just sat up in my chair and I was like, oh, damn, like maybe I need to stretch a little bit more. Maybe I need to do whatever. And I just, I want to, I want to applaud you, man, um, because there's very few people, seriously, um, there's very few people in my life that like when we got on the call, um, you looked into the screen and you asked like, you, you kind of calmed it. I don't know if you did this on purpose, but you looked into the screen, you looked into my eyes and you were like, how are you? Not how are you, but how are you? And you actually listened. And I just think that it's a, a phenomenal thing. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Every single person right now, you need to click the links. You need to subscribe, check out all of our sponsors. You guys know the drill. You know what you need to do. We've got shameless promotion on this bad boy. Make sure that you're doing anything and everything that you know that you need to do. But Chris, um, you have been absolutely phenomenal. And I cannot wait for episode two, man. 